Well, we want to welcome everyone to worship this morning, all here in our celebration service, and of course, those as well in our summit service. Uh, we've had a great morning of worship now in both services. Uh, so thankful for our special guest here in our celebration. Our summit worship band uh, shared at the Blueberry Festival yesterday, had a great time, and I know uh, continued that this morning. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 16. Last week, we began our message time by uh, sharing a little bit of a financial update with you, a financial review as we head into summer and we prepare for fall. I um, will not do that again today, uh, but I do want to mention it, and I want to have just a brief word of prayer as we ask God uh, to just continue to provide for us and our church and our ministries as he has done uh, for so, so many years. So let me begin there. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can worship together. Uh, we know that worship involves singing and praising. Worship involves your word and reading and studying and proclaiming. But worship also involves giving. And so we come today and we ask that you show us how each of us can be a part here at First Baptist Church to prepare this summer so that this fall uh, we can have the best ministries that we've had to bring honor and glory to you as things continue to come back together, hopefully uh, in, a, in a little different way as we uh, see the end of this pandemic. Father, we'll be careful to give you the thanks, the honor, and the glory for all that you do. Help us to be faithful, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been focusing in recent weeks on well, a series focused on prayer. We have called it the School of Prayer, and our goal has been not just to know more about prayer, but that you and I might truly be better prayers at the end of this than we were when we began. And so I think this is week number eight. We still have another week or two to go. This is a pretty long series, but we've looked at prayer from a lot of different angles. We started by talking about some foundations, some important things that you need to know even as we begin to look at prayer. And then we talked about the secret of prayer that Jesus says to continue to pray and don't give up. And then we began to look at some of the models for prayer. And we started, in fact, we've only done one model so far. We started with the model that I call chat, how to have a chat with the Lord, C-H-A-T. And we said that C stands for confess, H stands for honor, A stands for ask, and T stands for thank. And one of the ways that we can pray, and so many of you have reached out over the last few weeks and said, Pastor, I am having a chat with the Lord every day. This is how I pray almost every day. One of the ways we can pray is just to walk through that outline and chat with the Lord. Now, as important as that is, I though want to share with you some other models for prayer. Because there will be times when you're going to want to use one model, and there are going to be times when you're going to want to use a different model. And I think having these different tools in our tool chest will help us all to be better at prayer. Today, I want to focus on praying the Bible. That might not be familiar to you. I think what I'm going to share today uh, may not be familiar to you, though it is a, an ancient practice. I'm going to show you that it goes all the way back, at least to David. Uh, we may not look at all of the verses, but we can see it in the life of Daniel. 
Uh, we can certainly see it in the life of Christ. That's where we'll spend some time today. You can see it in the apostles and the early church. And then you can see it all the way through the history of the church until you come to modern times and it seems like we have forgotten this key way, this important way to pray. And so I'm excited to share this with you. I've been looking forward to this message all the way through our series, The School of Prayer. I just, I'm just anxious for you to hear how you can pray the Bible. So buckle up. We're going to set ablaze the prayer lives of those who will embrace this. Now the question I want to begin with is why don't we pray more than we do? Uh, people have suggested that the quickest way to humble a Christian is to ask him truthfully, how much do you really pray? Most of us are embarrassed. Most of us feel bad, feel guilty about how much we pray. Why don't we pray more than we pray? And so what's the answer? Somebody might suggest that we just don't love God enough. Maybe the reason we don't pray is that we just don't have enough passion for God. And so we're not motivated to pray. Somebody might say, well, the reason we don't pray more is because we don't understand the theology of prayer. If we just knew more about it, that then we would pray more. Somebody might say, maybe we just don't believe that God honors prayer, so we're not motivated to pray. But church, truthfully, I don't think any of those are the reason. Now, all of those could be a reason, and those may be a reason for you, but I think for most of us, that's not why we don't pray more than we do. You can see this in so many ways. A pastor, and I've done this before, uh, so I know can stand up and bring eight or 10 messages in a row about the theology of prayer. And at the end of that series, nobody prays any more than they did before he did that. It's not a, it's not a knowledge situation. It's not that we don't have enough information. And, and another reason I know that those aren't the reason most often is that there are many people whose love for the Lord can be measured by how much they serve the Lord, how much they give to the church, how much they strive to live holy lives, it's obvious that they love the Lord, but they still struggle to pray. So why is it that we don't pray more than we do? Why do we feel so guilty about our prayer lives? I read a lot about the prayer lives of others, and to be honest, Oftentimes when I do, I'm not inspired. I, I'm just, I just feel more guilty. I'll give you some examples. Uh, I read in the Bible that Jesus often prayed all night long. Now, how does that make you feel? If you're like me, it just makes you feel bad, right? Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, the one who wrote the book of James in our New Testament, he had a reputation of having calluses on his knees because he prayed so much. My knees are fine. That makes me feel bad. Uh, George Mueller, uh, you'll hear more about him in a moment, and I've mentioned him a few times in this series. Uh, many people consider him the greatest prayer in the last 300 years. I'll tell you why later. Uh, but his testimony is that he prayed several hours every day. 
Martin Luther, who we'll circle back to today, uh, once said, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer every morning, the devil gets victory throughout my day. And then he said, I have so much business to do, I just can't get it done unless I spend two to three hours a day in prayer. And that just makes me feel guilty. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, if we move to this continent, I read his uh, journal uh, two or three years ago, great preacher of the 18th century, and um, he wrote this on one particular day. In the morning, this morning, I spent two hours in prayer and meditation, and I did so with considerable delight. So why don't we pray like that? What is wrong with me? What is wrong with you? Well, maybe there's something wrong with us. Or maybe not. I think one of the reasons why we don't pray more and better, it's not a problem with us, it's a problem with how we pray. It's not so much a problem with you as it's a problem with how you pray. So what's wrong with how we pray? I think if we were honest, and this is something that's hard to be honest about, but I think if we were honest, we would have to say, prayer is boring. Now, you wouldn't say that. Uh, I'm nervous to say it. But prayer's boring. Let's just think about two hours of prayer. There are some things I really enjoy doing for two hours. I really enjoy watching a movie. I'm not a big movie buff, but if there's an interesting movie, I can sit down for two hours, never look at my watch. The time flies by, I can watch a two-hour movie. I can watch a two-hour football game or a three-hour football game. I love to watch football games. I wish there were six quarters or eight quarters. I just wish they'd keep on playing. I love to watch football, and it's never too long. I've never watched a game that I thought was, was too long. And then I love spending time dating my wife. Now, two hours, and you get too much over that. <laughs> you know, you can do it too long. But, uh, you know, the first two or three hours are great, right? She's in the other service. So <laughs> I see some people looking around. We have a lot of concrete separating us at the moment. You know, there are a lot of things we enjoy doing for two hours, but let's just be honest. Let's don't pretend to be more spiritual than we are. To pray for two hours just sounds boring. For many people to pray for 20 minutes would sound boring. What if you went home today and your goal was, and this isn't the goal I'm giving you, but if your goal today was to go home and pray for two hours, what would happen? Just think about it. What would happen if you sat down and you said, I'm not going to get up until two hours have passed, I'm going to pray for two hours. Well, a couple of things likely would happen. Number one, you'd run out of things to say. Most of us, let's just be honest, we'd run out of things to say before we hit the two-hour mark. The other thing that might happen is that you would get distracted. You'd be working on your shopping list or your task list for the next day in your head, or you'd just simply fall asleep. I think about the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he asked uh, three of his disciples uh, to pray with him as he prayed before the Lord. And he fussed at them because they kept falling asleep. And Jesus said, Peter, can you not pray with me one hour? And honestly, when I read that passage of scripture, I don't have so much sympathy for Jesus as I have sympathy for Peter. 
Because I can imagine they just had a big meal and now they've walked up to the Garden of Gethsemane. They felt the first cool breeze of the day. They bow their head, close their eyes, and they fall asleep. You tell me that you would have done better than Peter did. It's hard to pray, partly because prayer is boring. Now, why is prayer boring? Oh, I, I know a man whose name is uh, Donald Whitney, uh, Dr. Donald Whitney, probably uh, the greatest scholar today when it comes to things such as prayer or reading the Bible or meditation. And uh, he was the person who led me through my uh, recent doctoral program. Uh, he's written a ton of books about this. Uh, actually had lunch with him a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about one of his books and all the different languages that it's being translated into. Uh, he has something to say about this. And I'm not name dropping so you'll be impressed with me. I'm name dropping so that you will, you will listen to this quote I'm going to read. Uh, so Dr. Whitney said, I maintain that truly born again, genuine Christian people often do not pray simply because they don't feel like praying. The reason they don't feel like praying is that when they do pray, they tend to pray, listen to this, the same old things about the same old things. Isn't that true when you pray? And especially if you tried to pray for two hours, or let's be honest, if you tried to pray for 20 minutes, you end up saying the same old things about the same old things. And when you pray tomorrow, you'll say likely the same old things about the same old things that you said today. And on Tuesday, you'll say the same old things about the same old things that you said on Monday. And that, Dr. Whitney suggests, is the why, is the reason why prayer is boring. So what's the problem? You might be thinking, Pastor, I thought I was supposed to pray for the same old things. Well, I think you should. 80% uh, of my prayer is about the same things it was yesterday. I pray about the same old things. But listen, here's the problem. We're to pray about the same old things, but we're not to say the same old things about the same old things. Now, th th this is critical, and this is where you're going to learn something maybe you haven't known before. The problem is not what we pray about. The problem, I believe, church, is not who is doing the praying. I believe a lot of people who genuinely love God still struggle with prayer. So if the problem is not me and the problem is not what I'm praying about, then the only thing left is how I'm praying about it. I am not supposed to say the same old things about the same old things. Pray about the same old things, but don't say the same old things about the same old things. How do we do that? That brings us to the model praying the Bible. So I want to teach this to you. And I know this sounds more like a, a lesson than a sermon. And I promise you we're going to get to the Bible in a moment. It sounds like... We're not a Bible church, and we are, but I promise you we'll be there in a moment. But I, I want to walk you through, first, a little bit of history uh, that I think will encourage you, and then I want to show you the method, how to pray the Bible, so that we don't say the same old thing about the same old thing, and then I want to give you, give you some encouragement. So let's start with history. Uh, who has prayed the Bible? Uh, who is our model for this? Well, I could give you a whole list of names, people in and out of the Bible, but let me share a couple of them with you that I think are important. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is Martin Luther. And so a theologian back in the 1500s, 
he said this, if I fail to spend, I read this a moment ago, two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. Uh, two hours every day, that was his minimum. Uh, most of us, uh, we, we couldn't even fathom starting two hours a day. What in the world would I say if I prayed two hours a day? So how was he able to do that? Well, interestingly, somebody asked Martin Luther that, and he wrote a letter. It was his barber. He was getting his hair cut. And, and his barber said, tell me how you pray. And he said, I'll write it down, and, I will, and I'll send you a letter. And we have a copy of that letter. Uh, now, it was written in German, and it's been translated to English, thankfully. Uh, but, but if you'd like to read it, I put it on our website, fbcnac.org slash Luther, and it just has the letter there. It's not hard to read. It's easy to read. Uh, many people, if you choose to read it, uh, you'll be really, really impressed. And so I'm not going to go through all of that, but I want to tell you, here's how he was able, here's what he says in the letter, here's how he was able to pray for two hours every day. He says, and I'm going to quote him again, when I feel that I have become cold and ill-disposed to pray because of other thoughts. And so he says, when I don't want to pray, when, it, when I'm cold toward prayer, you ever been cold toward prayer? And when, I'm, when, when, I, when I have other thoughts and so he's distracted, what does he do? He said, when I, when I am cold and ill-disposed to pray because of other thoughts, I take my dear Psalter and I run to my room. Now, he's talking about the book of Psalms. And so when he couldn't pray well because he was bored or distracted, he would take the book of Psalms and he would run to his room and he did something that made all the difference. What was it? Well, I want to build some, some suspense, so I'm not going to tell you now. But let me give you another historical example. So George Mueller that I spoke of earlier, if you've never read, if you're a reader, and I know everybody doesn't enjoy that, but if you've never read a, a biography of George Mueller, it's just amazing. George Mueller, a preacher, a theologian, missionary, did a lot of things, but the biggest thing he did is he started an orphanage when there were no orphanages uh, in England, Bristol, England, ended up with thousands of kids in this orphanage. It was a gigantic operation. And he did this without ever asking for money and without ever having a savings account, he just got up every morning and he prayed and God met the need that day for all these thousands of orphanages, uh, orphans, not orphanages, uh, he had one orphanage. And uh, many people have documented this, it's been verified, it's not a made up story, and people have written uh, about his life, it's just extraordinary. Uh, God had told him, and he had made a commitment to God before he started the orphanage, I want to be an example of what our God can do if somebody simply trusts him 100%. And so Mueller's life became an illustration of that. But, but how in the world did he pray for hours every day? How did he do that? Not get bored or distracted. Now, it's a longer quote, but let me read it. He says, the difference then between my former practice and my present one is this. Formerly, when I rose, I began to pray as soon as possible and generally spent all my time till breakfast in prayer. But what was the result? He said, early uh, in my life, I would get up in the morning and I'd start praying and I would decide I'm going to pray till breakfast comes. How did it work out? Well, it didn't work out so well. He says, I often spent a quarter of an hour or half an hour or even an hour on my knees before being conscience, conscious to myself of having derived comfort, encouragement, humbling of soul, and often after 
having suffered much from wondering of mind the first 10 minutes or quarter of an hour or half hour, uh, only then did I begin to pray. Here's what he said happened. He said, I would make that commitment that I'm going to pray from when I get up to breakfast, but I would get so distracted, I would never pray. Now, he was a very disciplined man. He'd stay there and he would try, but his mind would go a thousand places. He's just like me and you, but something changed. So here's, here's what he writes later. I scarcely ever suffer now in this way. He said, this never happens. I don't ever get distracted. I don't ever get bored. He says, for my heart being nourished by the truth, being brought into experimental fellowship with God, I speak to my father and, and, to, and I speak to him about the things that he has brought to me in his precious word. He began to pray the Bible and he says it made all the difference. Now, how did he do that? Well, I'm not going to tell you because I want to give you one more, one more historical example. Then we'll get to the method. The last one, Jesus Christ. Now, this is the best one, right? You want to know how did Jesus pray? Well, when Jesus was on the cross, of course, he couldn't say much. Most people, when they're on the cross, who died by execution on the cross, uh, would say a few things right at the beginning because they're filled with anger and pain. But shortly into the crucifixion, they would stop talking and never say anything again because it was so difficult to speak. You'd have to pull yourself up. You can imagine pushing against the nail in your feet and pulling against the nails in your hand. It, would, it was just too difficult. And so now Jesus did not say much on the cross. He did say a few things, six things in fact, six statements on the cross. And, and I want to read a couple of those to you because this is interesting. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 and 46, it says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, if you've been in church very long, you've heard that before. You've heard good sermons on that. There's much to learn about that. But here's what I want you to see about it today. Jesus said that and he meant that, but was Jesus the first person to say that? No, he wasn't. Jesus was quoting an Old Testament verse. Jesus was quoting Psalm 22, 1, which says the same thing. And so when Jesus was on the cross, you see it there on the screen, he was simply quoting, now it meant what it meant, but he was quoting Psalm 22, 1. Now the whole Psalm, Psalm 22, describes what happened to Christ on the cross. I'll give you some other verses. Verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are disjointed. My heart like wax is melting within me. That happened to Jesus on the cross. Skipping down a couple of verses, verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. A, a gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and feet. The whole Psalm describes what was on the cross, what happened to Jesus on the cross. Now, many Bible scholars believe that what Jesus was doing was praying the Bible. 
that he was saying a verse and he was talking to his father about that verse. And he was saying a verse and he was talking to his father about that verse. In fact, many Bible scholars believe that when all of this torture began sometime before Jesus was put on the cross, that Jesus started then Psalm 1-1. Jesus certainly would have known the Psalms. And so he began to quote the Psalm and pray, to quote the Psalm and pray. And so by the time they get him on the cross, where is he in the quotation of the Psalms and the prayer. He is right there. This is how God works. Psalm 22 that describes what's happening on the cross. And these scholars believe, many of them, that Jesus continued to pray the Psalms. In fact, what was the last thing Jesus said on the cross? Well, we find it in Luke 23, 46. It says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. Now, where did that come from? Well, it came from the heart of Christ, but more than that, that's Psalm 31.5. And so these scholars suggest, Dr. Whitney and, and many, many others, that Jesus at the beginning of the torture started in Psalm 1.1, began to pray the Bible, got all the way to Psalm 35, and then he died. Uh, there is ample evidence that some of the greatest heroes in the Bible and some of the greatest heroes in the history of the church, those who have prayed long prayers, those who have fallen in love with prayer, have been people who have prayed the Bible. We see evidence, if we have more time, in the early church, in the book of Acts, people praying the Bible. This is how Jesus prayed, and this is how we can pray. Church, this could change your life. I know pastors say that kind of thing too often, but this really could. If we could learn to pray like these men and women prayed, it would change our lives. So that brings us to point number two, the method. How do we do this? What in the world uh, was Martin Luther doing? What was uh, George Mueller doing? What was Jesus doing? Well, let me show you. Now, this is easier caught than taught. Do you know what I mean? This is easier to model than it is to describe. And in a moment, I'm just going to do it and let you see it. But let me see if I can, I can describe, it, describe it. Step number one, get in an attitude of prayer. So you're going to focus on the Lord. Step two, letter B in your outline, read a phrase or two of Scripture. I suggest you start with the Psalms. Step three, pray about what the Lord brings to your mind. Whatever it is, whatever the Lord brings to your mind, just pray about that. And then number four, rinse and repeat. And you're just going to continue to do this. And so I have more to say about it, but let me just do it. And so I'm going to pray a few verses from Psalm 16. Now, I haven't written this out. It's not in my outline. I haven't practiced it. I'm going to do it live right in front of you. And I want to pray because I want you to see how easy this is. I'm going to pray Psalm 16. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I want to pray to you. And I ask that you use the words of scripture to guide my prayers. Psalm 16, verse 1 says, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. Father, that reminds me that you are my protector, that the only hope I have is the protection that you give to me. And I pray that you will protect me. I am getting on an airplane today and flying somewhere. 
Father, I pray that you protect me on that airplane. I think about my oldest daughter today who is driving from Atlanta, Georgia to Columbia, South Carolina this morning. And I pray that you'll protect her. I pray that nothing will distract her driving, that she won't come across something that she can't handle, and I pray that she will make it there safely. Father, I pray that you protect me not just from physical harm, but I pray that you protect me and my family from spiritual harm. I pray that you protect me from temptation today. Father, that I won't hear of something or look at something that would draw my eyes off of you. Father, I pray for my three daughters that you will protect them spiritually today. I pray that this will be the Lord's day in their life in a serious way. I pray that they will not fall into temptation today. I pray that you would protect them from, from what Satan might choose to do in their lives. Father, I pray that you protect the First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches, that you protect us from the world, but you protect us from us. And I pray that nothing might get us off the task that you've put us on. Father, I know that all protection comes from you. And I ask you to show yourself faithful in my life and in the lives of those closest to me and protect us. Father, the next part of that verse says, I take refuge in you. I am reminded, Father, that my only hope, my only safety, everything is in you. And Father, when I'm hurting and when I'm confused and when I'm angry or I'm, I am drawn to frustration, Father, remind me that I need to run to you, that you're the place of peace. There's nothing else in my life that ultimately will give me peace. And Father, I'm weak and I'm drawn to some other things that I think will give me peace. But I'm reminded right now my only refuge is you. You're my only hope. Father, help me if I'm tempted today. Help me when I struggle with things to run to you. Father, I, I pray every day for my girls. I pray that they will find their refuge in you. I pray that, that their lives will be about you. Their mission will be about you. Their hope will be about you. I pray that they will know that you are enough for them. And Father, when I read verse 2, it says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have nothing good besides you. And Father, I know that you're the source of everything good in my life. And I just, I just want to thank you for some of that. I'm thankful for a wife that loves me and loves the Lord and helps me love the Lord. I'm thankful that I get to pastor this church. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that, that I'm healthy. I'm thankful that there's, um, there's a little bit of money in the bank to pay the bills. I'm, I'm thankful for the friends around me that care for me. I'm thankful for the people that pray for me. I'm thankful for my family, my extended family. Father, I'm thankful last week when my, when my mom, we thought her cancer had spread, that it had not. I'm thankful for that. Because I'm reminded in this verse that you are the source of good and you are enough for me. Father, as I read verse... Verse three, it says, as for the holy people who are in the land, uh, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. Uh, Father, as I read verse five, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. Father, I want to pray for my future because I know it's in your hands. And I pray for the future of my kids. I pray for my, my youngest daughter is just being a teenager and all the hardships and difficulties and challenges that come with that. 
Father, I pray, I read verse 6, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have, I have a beautiful inheritance. Father, that reminds me that not only have you blessed me here on this earth in this life, but you're going to bless me in the life to come. I pray you help me keep my focus on that, that I don't get uh, just wrapped up in the things of this world, whether it's uh, you know, problems with my, with my house or problems with my car or problems with a retirement account. And Father, I want to be responsible, but I want to have a life, I want to have a vision that's focused on eternal life in heaven. Remind me, remind me of that. Help, um, help my children have that same vision. I pray you use them to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Uh, but Father, in this life, I, let them live it for the life that is to come. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now, I could have gone. Uh, I didn't do all the verses because I didn't really, wasn't really thinking that through. You, you, you see how you could take those six verses and you could pray for an hour, right? Now, you're going to pray for the same old things, but you're going to pray for them not with the same old words. Can I, uh, can I take a little time this morning and do this also with the Ten Commandments? I promise you I won't go through the whole Ten Commandments. But this is what you'll find if you read that section in Martin Luther. So let me just pray through two or three commandments. Uh, father in heaven, I, I, I read the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 verse 12 says to honor your father and mother so that you may have long life in the land of the Lord that your God has given you. Father, I pray for my earthly father and I pray for my earthly mother and for my extended family. And I pray that, that you will show me how to honor them. And I know there are few things in life more important than showing honor to your parents. And Father, I get distracted by things and I get busy and it's hard. But I pray that I will never value something more than honoring my parents. And show me real and concrete ways that I can do that. And Father, I pray that my children, I can show that I can live an honorable life in front of them. I can show them what it means uh, to love you and to serve you. Father, I read in, in verse 13, do not murder. And Father, I pray that you protect life. I pray that you protect unborn life. I pray that you protect our our, our our, our people from violence. Bible says, do not commit adultery. Verse 14. Father, I pray that you protect my marriage, that you protect the sanctity of my marriage, that you protect the intimacy that my wife and I have. Don't let anything distract us from that. And, and, and don't let us diminish the value of that. And I pray for my, uh, I pray for my children, my daughters and their future husbands. I pray that you keep my daughter's hearts pure and I pray that you keep their husbands, if in fact you lead them to be married, that, that even today you will keep pure the hearts of those men that they will unite with. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So praying the scripture, it's a simple thing to do. Now let me give you some tips. Don't worry too much about digging into the meaning of the, of the scripture. Uh, that's a different part of your devotion time. You'll read your Bible and study, that's when you do that. But just read and pray what comes to mind. Now, this will be a little bit of exaggeration. But if you read Psalm 130, verse 3, which says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? And when you read that, you think of Mark McClendon. Pray for Mark McClendon. Now, this verse is not about him. But the Bible says pray for everything, and it won't hurt to pray, to pray for Mark. And pray... Don't worry about the right speed. 
There are times when I'll do this with a verse and I'll spend 20 minutes on a verse because things just keep coming to my mind. Sometimes I'll read seven verses and nothing comes to my mind. You just, you let, there's nothing magical about, there's nothing written down about the speed you do this. You, you just pray as the Lord brings things to your minds. Now, what will happen if you pray like this? Well, you will pray for the same old things, but you'll pray for the same old things in a different way. You'll find yourself praying for your family and your kids and, and your parents and, and your church and your pastor. You'll find yourself praying in, in ways that you've never prayed for those same old things before. Secondly, you will pray about more things that never occurred to you before. So, I, didn't, I don't often think about praying for my daughter's future husbands, but when I read that, and again, I didn't rehearse this, but when I read that passage, the do not commit adultery in Exodus chapter 20, that's what came to my mind. I want my daughters to marry men of purity. And I don't know who those men are, but I can pray for them now. That is an example of something I would never have prayed for or wouldn't likely have prayed for uh, it's except for that verse. And then the third thing will happen is your prayers will get shaped by scripture. Uh, you know, most of us just pray for whatever we think of. And I, I think we're better off if our prayers are shaped by scripture. So I want to do something very, wow, it's 1120. We're going to go really fast, but I, I, I want, I want to, I want to, I want to do something you don't want to do, but please just, just bear with me. Give me a little bit of grace. I want you, we're going to take three minutes I want you to do this before you leave. If you don't, it'll just be, well, that was interesting. But I think if you do this for three minutes, I think it'll change you. I think it'll change you. I'm convinced of that. And so here's what we're going to do. Psalm 23. We're going to put it on the board, uh, on the screens, but you can just turn there. The 23rd Psalm, the first three or four verses. Here's what I want you to do. Not aloud, but silently. I just want you to pray this passage. I want you to read. How does it start? You are my shepherd. I want you to read that first part of verse one and just pray whatever the Lord comes, uh, puts, puts to your mind. Okay? And then go to the next one. And then go to the next one. All right? Can we do that? Let's, let's try it. Father in heaven, listen to your people as they pray what you remind them to pray about as they look to your word. You pray.
read in Psalm 23 that you are my shepherd. Thank you for being my shepherd. Thank you that you are the good shepherd. I need you to lead me. I face decisions all the time and I, I know I could run to the wrong pastures so easily. But I need a shepherd to show me. Make my heart soft so I'll hear what you're saying. Help me to be more in your word so I'll I'll see what your word says, but be my shepherd, be my shepherd. Father, I pray that you're the shepherd for my, my family. Father, as my girls get older, the hardest thing is that they're making decisions that I don't get to weigh in on. I pray that you'll be Hannah Deer's shepherd and that she'll follow you. Show her today what she ought to do. I pray that you'll be Emily's shepherd, that she'll follow you and you'll show her today what she ought to do. I pray that you'll be Ray Deer's shepherd and that she'll follow you and that you will show her what it is that she needs to do. Father, I, I read that I shall not want. Lord, I've never really been in want, I don't believe. And that's because of you. You've showed me such kindness throughout my life. I'm thankful for that. But Father, I do pray you'll provide finances for some house stuff I'm going through today. And I know you will and you have and you always have. Father, I, I ask you for that though. You tell me to ask for things and I ask you for that. I pray for somebody in our church here that had a medical procedure last week and is worried about the finances, very worried about the finances. I pray that you provide for that family, for that couple. I pray that, you, that they'll have what they need. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let me share with you a couple of resources. This is, uh, this is a book called Praying the Bible. This is by Donald Whitney. You see it on the screen. Uh, I've got four, five, six of them here at the front. First come, first serve, and the service is over. Uh, Caleb Castro has a bunch of these in Spanish. And so first come, first serve, just hunt him down. And it says, uh, same thing I'm preaching. I can't really claim a lot of originality for this message uh, once you read the book. Uh, but I, uh, I encourage, easy to read book. It'll help you to do this better. Uh, there is, a, there is a, an app on your, that you can get for your phone that is free. It's called Five Psalms. It's on all the different platforms. It was written specifically for uh, Dr. Whitney's book. And uh, what it'll do is it'll give you five psalms uh, to pray through that day. And so it automatically pulls them up. It's a, it's a little formula he uses. He describes it in the book. I don't have time to describe it now. Uh, and what he says you should do is just sort of thumb through those different psalms. You can, you, you can choose on the app several different Bible versions, including the one I preach from, CSB. And uh, he, he, he'll tell you how to do that. But what I do, you know, the Bible says so often that, that people prayed three times a day. David prayed three times a day. Daniel prayed three times a day. The apostles, Acts chapter 10, prayed three times a day. So I just thumb through that and use the different psalms that it will suggest on different days, and I pray multiple times a day. Hey, let me just give you the motivation. We've said from the beginning of this series that there's nothing better to be better at than prayer. And um, historically and biblically, the greatest Christians, the ones, the ones who accomplished the most, the ones who experienced the joy of God, who brought the most honor to God, have been the ones who were best at prayer. And I believe the only way to be a man or woman who can pray a long time is to learn to pray the Bible. Uh, prayer is the greatest tool or weapon we have. If you're a parent, 
the best tool you have to parent your kids is prayer. If you're a student, the best tool you have to survive school is prayer. If you're an old person, the best tool you have in your old age, well, I'm tired, pastor, and it's hard to do things. Is it in 1 Timothy chapter 2 or 1 Timothy chapter 4? It says that some people are older people and God has specifically left them so that they can spend their whole days praying. And you might say, well, that doesn't accomplish much. No, maybe that accomplishes more than everybody else put together. If you have a big problem, the best thing you can do is pray. If you're sad, depressed, anxious, the best thing you can do is pray. If you have an important decision to make, the best thing you can do is pray. If you feel weak, face temptation, whatever, the best thing you can do is pray. And if prayer's boring and it's hard and you get distracted or fall asleep, if you pray more than four or five minutes, open the book of Psalms, read a verse and pray whatever comes to mind and read a verse and pray whatever comes to mind. And I'm telling you, God will give you a vibrant prayer life like only those, those special, faithful people through history have known. Head bowed, eyes closed. Father, I know that the only reason we can pray is because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. The only reason I have access to you is because I've put my trust in Christ. Father, I pray those today who haven't done that, that today they'll know that that's their only hope and they'll trust you, that you, that Jesus died for their sins. They'll trust that. They'll surrender to him. But Father, so many of us, we, we know that. We just struggle to pray. We're bored. We wouldn't admit it, but we are. We're distracted and we're weak. But Father, help us like so many great men and women of prayer through the years. Help us like, you, like Jesus to learn to pray the Bible. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond.